Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. So I'm here with Matt Mulloway in his uh, in his beautiful home here in New York, allowing me to spend some time and talk to him about how he's grown automatic and powered half the web and <laughs> all sorts of other fun projects. And so what we were just saying is how I was asking how uh, so WordPress and well, automatic is an extremely remote company and there's mm-hmm. no physical offices. And I, I, I was curious how when you started out in 2003, if that was part of the vision. Yeah, so it was definitely part of how we were working at the time because we were all working on the same open source project, WordPress, and that was the first few people at the company. So yeah. Donica was the first employee in Ireland. Uh, I was in San Francisco. We had folks in Vermont and Texas. And so why, why move them, right? Everyone was happy where they were and we were already working together. Uh, the tools at the time were things like IRC mm-hmm. instead of Slack. Um, we used bug trackers, you know, yeah. do a lot of communication. A uh, bit of email, AIM. <laughs> yeah, if you remember, you know, a lot AIM of people and, who are upset that AIM's gone. And ICQ, and just kind of those uh, old chat tools were, were how we collaborated. Did you and did you ever feel like that was a limitation at the time? No, because you know I remember like once doing a Skype call or something like that, but mostly we we were pretty good at communicating uh, online and with text. Yeah, and then how? But how did you connect with those people initially? Right at, at the time, even like I, to to be to find somebody in Vermont and Ireland and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like how how would you connect with them even to start? Oh well, that came through one thing I forgot to mention, which is online forums. Mm, of course, <laughs> so that's how I got involved with the B two project that turned into WordPress. Was just I was asking questions on the forums, and I was returning to ask a question, and I saw something that I already knew the answer to, so I started to answer things. So it kind of fell down that rabbit hole volunteering mm-hmm. in these community sport forums. And then other than that, yeah, but the bug trackers, like we were uh, all developers. So we were communicating a lot through the code, through the subversion repository and through the, the trackers. And WordPress, at least to me, and obviously I'm sure to you, is not just like a blogging platform. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is a, a democratization of information in a lot of ways and allows people to uh, really share their knowledge, which I think at the end of the day is what's amazing about humans uh, and the content that we create <laughs> and something that in some ways can never truly be taken away from us. So were you like an idealist at the time? Like you thought that you were going to just change the way information was shared? Yeah, I'm still an idealist. Uh, but the the goals at the beginning of WordPress were quite modest. It was really just blogging software and really just for a few of us who were, who were doing it. Yeah. Um, in the very beginning, we had more developers than users, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> people were working on it but not actually using it for their own site yet. So that uh, that developed and it grew very organically. You know, WordPress had a philosophy from the very beginning. Um, you know, tagline "Code is poetry" mm-hmm. goes back probably fifteen or sixteen years. Um, the idea of web standards and wanting the software to be accessible to all, and pretty early on, we we developed this idea of democratizing publishing. Um, we started using democratizing before it was a common verb to basically show that there was other software at the time, but it was proprietary or cost money. And we wanted to take the best of that and make it available for free. And free, not just as in price, but as in freedom. 
Right. But so free as in price, I mean, was that scary at the time to think, like, did you have an idea of how you'd monetize it or you just wanted to do it? That wasn't scary because I was a student. So <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> My rent in Houston was $425 a month. Like, Amazing. you know, it was pretty, uh, I was pretty low burn as you would probably describe it now. And it was not created to make money. Right. So WordPress was, was, and still is a, a volunteer project. Yeah. And, um, and it was only a few years later that I started to see the commercial opportunities. And how did that come about? Was that something where you, you sort of saw it and then like you went after it or it just sort of like, I don't know, fell on your lap? Yeah. Well, the step, step one was I visited San Francisco for a week and stayed with my friend Tontek Chalik, mm-hmm. I think on his couch. And, um, and then, you know, visited, I didn't cross the Golden Gate Bridge, but I did visit Yahoo and Google and CNET and all these different places. Uh, when I returned to Houston, this was over the summer. Um, started to get some uh, job offers from those companies. And CNET was the most interesting because they would, it's a great salary, they had offered to pay to move me out. And because they were a media company, they said, you can keep all the intellectual property to WordPress and any open source that you do, which of course is a big deal. Yeah. Any other company, you sign away everything. So um, I went to CNET and it was a, a great learning experience. Like they already were using WordPress. And, um, and also they were like CMSs originated at CNET. Vignette actually spun out of them in the 90s. So it's kind of the place where like online content management started. Sure, yeah. Huh, okay. And when... like, I how- asked how it became commercial. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I pitched WordPress.com, which is the idea to take WordPress, which you had to like configure or set up a database to all these things, make it one click um, to CNET. Because I was very loyal. They moved me out to yeah, San Francisco sure. and everything. And um, they, at the time, there was kind of an anti-blog sentiment there. And they thought that blogging uh, wasn't kind of the future. And they didn't think that the WordPress.com thing was a good idea. (laughs) But they were supportive of me and ended up investing in the company once I raised money about six months after I left. So they they were supportive of of me and what eventually became Automatic. So it's kind of best of both worlds. Yeah, sure. If I had stayed inside CNET, it probably wouldn't have turned into what it did. Um, but their support, of course, was important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. And then some, some of the other products that have come along the way, like Gravatar and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did those come about for the most part? I mean, because it, it, one of the things that I got to witness in my very limited window into the company was mm-hmm. it seems like people are not only encouraged, but really uh, empowered to uh, innovate. Quite yeah. a bit. So, so some of those things uh, were acquisitions, uh, small ones. So Gravatar was actually started by Tom Preston Warner, mm-hmm. you might know as the co-founder of GitHub. Yep. Later. <laughs> so he was, I think, leaving a job at Microsoft, and Gravatar was just really expensive to run uh, in its previous incarnation. And we were getting pretty good at that point at like web scale stuff. So we uh, we bought it, kind of for a de minimis amount, but. Um, but then rewrote it and made, and committed to keep running it. And I guess we have now for over a decade. Yes, yeah. And we were able to rewrite it in PHP and make it just a lot more efficient than it was before. So how, do you touch code anymore? Uh, not too often, no. no. But like, do you, I mean, do you, is it something that like you like to do or? Uh, yeah, I love code. Okay. And so um, I start try to keep my skills sharp and I have a lot of code I've written in the past, including some personal automation code mm-hmm. and things that I end up dipping into like at least every week or two. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just for tweaks. Well, because there's this study that just came out, actually a book coming out called Dark Horses, which basically mm. is this research study on success. And it was 
basically showing how a lot of the most successful people at the at the end of the day basically followed something that fulfilled them mm -hmm. and tried to improve themselves in one way or another and that sort of spun off to improve other people's lives or create companies and all these things ah. so that's why i just it, it's it's interesting to me personally to understand like if code mm -hmm. and coding and like getting in there is still something that and if you're doing it on a weekly basis that's amazing well i would say that it's not like i used to code which is like you know pizza and mountain dew <laughs> hours and hours at a time uh -huh. uh, i miss that because that yeah. sort of like long flow states or sure. like the kind of satisfaction of like solving a tricky bug um it's very very satisfying uh but definitely my satisfaction and fulfillment there has shifted more into like designing architectures organizations and then interactions like and i get a lot of satisfaction from that because ultimately a big part of what I liked about coding was the flow, but the other part was the impact on the world. Yeah, well. Uh, so I've always been a very pragmatic, like a lot of people, actually PHP isn't even my favorite language, <laughs> but it's the most pragmatic one. Sure. Uh, for getting distribution and speed and everything else. What is so your that's favorite? Why, uh, my favorite would be Python. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's probably new ones now. I haven't dug into Go much. Yeah, there's Ruby that and Rails be, and Go. And that might be. No, Ruby was around. Uh, we actually used to be on the same server as Ruby on Rails. So I'd log into the server and see DHH there. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay. So <laughs> with this, so now you're interest in terms of architecture of organizations, right? So mm -hmm. the the structure and the architecture of Automatic was that very intentional, or did that sort of develop organically? Uh, both. So we've intentionally evolved it in an organic manner. Okay. Um, I like to think of automatic as a fractal organization. So as you zoom in or zoom out, it actually looks the same. Yeah. So uh, the original one automatic was just 10 people. And it was mostly engineers. And we at that point, we had started to have like a business person, a designer, like essentially a, a small cross-functional team. And everyone could push code, everyone could ship, everyone could, had a lot of autonomy. Yeah. And, uh, and also agency to make the changes that they wanted to see happen. Um, as we grew, you know, we split and eventually split, started splitting the teams and then divisions of teams and, uh, and business units now full of many teams. And each one of those units kind of looks like that cross-functional thing that we used to have. Uh, I would say the tension is always between like centralized functions versus decentralized functions. Yeah. And some things we centralize like um, systems, for example, we're really good at running networks and, servers and stuff uh, HR we centralize like there's some benefits there but most everything else we try to push out to the edges and teams have, try to have everything they need within them to meet a user need has that ever gone badly uh, sure yeah sometimes I would say that what you optimize for there is maybe speed and autonomy hmm. and what you trade off is sometimes coordination uh, sometimes quality, you know, there might be different levels of quality in different teams. Um, you know, a dissemination of best practices. It happens organically. You know, part of the idea is one thing, two things I like. One, that when something really works on a team, other teams start to adopt it mm -hmm. without me having to like put on my CEO hat and say, we must all do this. In fact, I think the last time we forced everyone to do something was adopting Slack. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, just because it had kind of organically taken off, but there were just a few holdouts. Sure. And I said, well, we need to all be on the same communication system. Like, otherwise, we have a. What were you on before? Mostly IRC. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. 
IRC stands oh, for... Oh, IRC. I thought it said yeah. heresy. I'm like, okay. I was like, oh, this is a toilet. But we had some hip chat. We had some Slack. We had some Skype and some, you know, other things going okay. on. So getting all on IRC or all on Slack was a nice standardization. And, and you have the entire company on Slack now? We still have IRC as a backup because Slack does go down. And our systems team really prefers IRC, as you could imagine. Uh-huh. Um, it's good for logging, like Slack rate limits you. But yeah, Slack is our main one. Although I've been thinking about what comes after that. Yeah. Because I do feel like um, we might have reached a point where it's perhaps a net negative for productivity in the organization. So it's actually been really interesting for me. I mean, it's much, it's uh, significantly smaller than your group, but we, uh, so we use Voxer mm-hmm. and Slack. So you know Voxer, yeah. right? Um, well, and now I've learned that I'm actually a much more audio based person, but uh, my team and now some of my higher level clients that are also in Slack we communicate 99% on Voxer. Everyone's just doing voice. And it's yeah. it's way more effective and less distracting in some ways because you can listen at double speed and like you can really control it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, double speed's super cool. Telegram just added that too. Yeah, finally. Um, it was one of the big things that Voxer, I think, had over the other ones for the t- for for uh, for now. But Actually, your talk inspired me to start to do more voice and try it out more. Oh, good. Because the feedback I often get as a leader is like, you're really nice in person. But I tend towards brevity and textual communications, which people can read. I'm not very emotional, so I'm not like someone who's going to get mad. But mm-hmm. the text could read like I'm mad or angry sure. or things like that. Yeah. So how are you doing with voice now? What are you using? Just trying it out. Like just oh. calling and doing okay. Telegram voice messages and things yeah. like that. I mean, I'm you... calling probably more than uh, I don't have any friends besides you on Voxer. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're. I mean, I'm. I am. Like fanatic about Voxer, it's it's mm. changed my business honestly. Because and also, especially I do have people all over the world that I work with, and it's just it's made it so great. But the point is, mm. is that we, uh, you know, we're paying a couple thousand dollars a month for Slack up until this month, and I was like, we're just not using it, so huh. we've we've stopped, and it's been fine. Um, so I was I'm a I'm a big believer in mm. Slack, but yeah, as far as going beyond it, Voxer is now serving that need for us. It's kind of amazing. You should check out P two. Yeah, okay. I actually just linked it on my blog today. It's p2theme.com, and it's what we use instead of email. So basically, it's like a imagine a blog, but where everything's on the homepage. Well, and you use that instead of like a Trello, also, right? Uh, we still use Trello and some okay. other tracking things because it's nice to have that structure. Yeah, but P2 is really nice for that asynchronous communication. It's threaded, so you can have good conversations in it. And of course, it's in the day it's a blog and a web page, so you can embed anything you can embed anywhere else. Uh, you can link to Trello things. It has permalinks. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we're actually probably going to adopt a policy for Slack where the messages expire after a long time, but maybe like three years. Yeah. Just because I don't want people to think of it as a permanent store of knowledge. Like right. if something's important, we should either we should memorialize that in a P2 or a field guide or something and not assume that Slack's going to be around forever. So that's very interesting, actually, because we so we have a, a member site that's built in WordPress, mm-hmm. and uh, we were actually just having this conversation because I would like to move the conversations currently having in Slack into that member area, mm. and I guess I think P two could probably do that actually. P two is great for, I think, a bit more collaborative. Yeah, you might also want to check out BB Press, which is yeah, so plugged that one for WordPress. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, and the forums, you know, forums are kind of still cool. <laughs> well, I mean, Reddit's amazing, right? I mean, they, they, yeah. They, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now I've got some ideas. I got to bring it back to focus here. <laughs> have you uh, tried BuddyPress? No, I haven't tried BuddyPress. That's another one. BuddyPress is kind of like all the member profiles and kind of like a little social network in a box built on WordPress. Okay. And that's uh, we actually use it for internal company directory. 
Okay. I want to make more of these tools. I want to productize them yeah. for uh, for other companies more because a lot of the stuff we use is a little bit it's custom custom code on top of WordPress. Right. Or it wouldn't be hard because we're pretty good at hosting WordPress to make it available to others. Yeah, sure. In return, keep fashion. <laughs> uh, so back, going back to like things that might have been hiccups though, right? So mm-hmm. so Slack was one of those instances where you said we have to do this, but uh, where was like another instance where the decentralization didn't? I was going to say the two things I liked about our, our, our structure. So allowing teams to adopt mm-hmm. different tools and then it can spread organically or not. So I think a lot of places, if you don't like the way a team works, you have to leave the company, right? Where for us, if you like daily standups, there's a team that does that. If you like meeting every other week, there's a team that does that. If you prefer IRC, there's a team for that. So like uh, Automatic can accommodate a number of different work styles within kind of these different teams. Uh, I think we have over 100 teams now throughout the company. Well, and how, but how do you coordinate that? You know, so how does how does somebody know that like yeah, I, I would really like to be using IRC. What are the four teams that are using IRC? Yeah, just that's just uh, ambient or organic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. And and in terms of bringing people into that culture, the hiring process that you have is obviously a unique one to do that, right? So how are, how are you? Uh, find, I mean, because the people that I honestly like the people that I met at, at the grand meetup they asked the best questions of mm-hmm. my talk that I've ever had in, oh, cool. in a talk, really. And there were like seven of them. And I was really impressed. So it's obviously a particular kind of person that you're not only attracting, but indoctrinating in some ways, right? And assimilating. <laughs> so, well, they're indoctrinating me. Yeah. <coughs> well, they're clearly, a lot of them are obviously fans of WordPress. Yeah. Right? So, so I think that's probably step one, like before mm-hmm. anything else, tactical or practical. I do stuff like this, and I say that Automatic's always always, always hiring, mm-hmm. even though I, I messed up saying it then. <laughs> um, and so it's getting the word out there. And um, we know we, we promote and have Easter eggs throughout our products that also link to our jobs page. Uh, some hidden, some obvious. So that's also, I think it's important to try to convert your users into colleagues. Yeah. It's actually really powerful. And uh, beyond that, uh, I actually worked... Uh, on a Harvard Business Review article, you just search for HBR Mullenweg, that walks through like the step-by-step, the TikTok of our whole hiring process, like application review, uh, trial project, interviews, final chat, kind of goes through it all. The only thing that's different since then is starting this year, I no longer review every application. I used to review every single one. Yeah, I know. That's what I was. I was I, I'm, I'm aware of that, and it's it's amazing. Uh, uh, I was just bottlenecking. It's yeah. actually. As my schedule has become a bit more variable, you know, as the company's grown, um, it was harder to find that time every single day to review the applications. And I don't want to be the cause of someone getting a response two or three weeks later. Yeah. And I, so my last book is called The Replaceable Founder, as you know, uh, and it's, uh, it's all about removing those bottlenecks. I never want to hold people up for hours, much less days. So what do you then end up spending most of your time on? Mm. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I probably spend about a third of my time on what I would call people stuff. So that's hiring, uh, HR, you know, getting team selections right, people reaching out and managing things. Uh, and I think that's probably the most important thing I do because ultimately who's on the team and how they're working together is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a background in engineering and product. So I, I spend about a third of my time on that. In what way though? Like you're not coding really, so... 
Yeah, so that could be uh, meeting with teams or with leads. Uh, I also, as of since last year, have taken back over lead responsibility for WordPress.org. So right now we're working on the 5.0 release. So it's, you know, tracking everything that's going into the release. Like kind of project management, product management. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy that. And for 5.0 in particular, we're finally incorporating this big thing called Gutenberg that we've been working on for, you know, at least a year and a half. So it's finally coming out in November. And uh, so I would say right now it's probably more than a third of my time. But that's just because we're tracking things very closely. Got a lot of launches both on the automatic side and the .org side in the next few months. And then the final third I would call the stuff that gets to me because no one else can do it. It still happens, huh? <laughs> sometimes it's fires. Sometimes it's stuff that's predictable like fundraising, right? Like it's still important for them to meet the founder and CEO. Um, and sometimes it's just things that pop up, you know? the By definition, if the organization's functioning well, by the time it makes it all the through all the layers to like Matt, we need you here. Yeah, it's probably a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> or an unusual situation or something like that. So, can you give an example of something that might actually make it to you? Hmm, something that might actually make it to me. Uh, well, it could be you know an unusual HR situation, which obviously I couldn't speak in specifics. Sure, yeah. But like, you know, maybe something pops up and they're like, "Hey, yeah, this is important, and uh, what should we do here?" Other parameters around that, like when this warrants your attention versus when they can handle it on their own? Um, it's a judgment call. Well, I mean, there's 800 people, so the vast majority of it's being handled by yeah. the HR team or, or by the various leads. Um, yeah, I think that it's just up to any person. Any person in the company can contact me at any time for any reason. So it's just up to them uh, whether they want to. Do people take advantage of that or do they feel like... Way less than you would think. I get very... Uh, some. Some weeks it's very little. Uh, some weeks it spikes a little, but um, yeah, I would I would encourage people to do it more. If any automaticians are listening, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and are there ha, have you met almost like obviously there's people who might have joined you know recently before the mm-hmm. last meetup, but have you met most of the people that work for you, or or uh, the minority of the people that work for you? We actually have a tool that tracks this. It's called Metamatician. Okay. And uh, it runs on your phone and on our little internal uh, directory. And um, and basically, it's a two-way meet flag, so or have met flag. And um, like, let's say we were at the grand meetup and we had a conversation. You could mark met next to my name, Matt, and it would mark it for me as well for you. So it's kind of a, a reciprocal thing. Mm-hmm. Different people have different definitions of that. For me, it's like we had a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... At the end of the grand meetup, I had gotten up to maybe 63%. Um, so it shows a little score, uh-huh. which comes out to, I think, around 500 uh, automaticians. Do you have the highest score? Uh, I definitely <laughs> have one of the higher ones, uh-huh. probably because people will seek me out right. as well. Um, but I think the highest, at least the highest at the grand meetup, was actually one of our HR people, Ingrid. Um, I used to be able to get to the 90s, you know, <laughs> and now it's just uh, probably impossible, both because the meetups are bigger. Um, and uh, we're, we're not everyone's at everyone. Yeah, you know, sure. Because the meetups, it's a week of the year. So generally about 10% of the company, 5 to 10% of the company can't make it for visa issues, maybe maternity or paternity leave, uh, family. You know, there's just some reason why they right. can't travel. So, And uh, do you ever do like kind of like a world tour kind of thing? I have done tours before. And, uh, and when I travel, I often try to meet the local WordPress community or local automaticians. 
if I have a free evening, it's nice. I mean, to they're everywhere. It. Literally, that's something that's beautiful. I can go to any city in the world. <clears throat> You'll always have a couch. <laughs> oh, <okay>. yeah. <laughs> I was just in uh, Peru for a week, and I was visiting, and mostly to check out some of the restaurants there, which are amazing, and in Lima. And it was awesome because I had a, a colleague there uh, who ended up being a great host and telling me like some of the places the locals go. And uh, and then we did a WordPress meetup, and it was nice to be able to um, you know meet probably 50 or 60 of the local community and, and hear what they're up to. And, and I mean, this feels like a rhetorical question, but do you get ideas from those uh, kinds of exposures? ton of ideas. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't really have any original ideas at all come from meeting users. Uh, Gutenberg is just something that yeah, I've seen people struggle with these concepts for so long over and over again that it really, I think I first presented some of the mock-ups for the idea that would become Gutenberg in like 2013. It was a while ago. It just it took us a while to catch up technology-wise to where we could do this. Yeah. So then how, when you're coming up with these ideas and stuff, how far in advance are you guys planning projects out? I mean, Gutenberg mm. is five years old, basically. So, Well, so there's planning and there's the ideas. So I probably have five to six years worth of work of ideas in my head. <laughs> and yeah. by the way, they're in the community too. So things like multilingual or different uh, different ways for the translation systems to work, uh, changing the update system, making major updates automatically. Like all these things are on a lot of people's minds. And a lot of just kind of picking what's most important and what we're going to work on next. So we really said for, for Gutenberg to happen, we really had to shut down almost everything else. And in fact, this 5.0 release is uh, very constrained. It's just going to be four point, the last 4.9 plus Gutenberg and a new theme. And that's really it. So by controlling the scope, we can do it in a, in a good time frame. Do you guys do, I mean, do you guys do like um, agile or, you know, sprints and stuff like that? Do you, some of that traditional? Different teams do different things. Yeah, okay. No, and that's, <laughs> that's, it's it's so interesting to me because like, I feel like there's a, cons- you could be concerned that that could like get away from you, but it seems to work exactly the opposite way in automatic it seems to really strengthen the people's ability to work i'm a big believer that people will work the best on their time in their space right so like you're 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 doing that but not just individually you're doing that within the teams too which is remarkable so there's one thing that we require all the teams to do uh that i i like personally and it's different from okrs or gist which uh, i've seen other places mm-hmm. um and that's three-year plans so we each division and then rolling down the teams has a three-year plan that they update every quarter. And so the three-year plan is basically like in the next year, in the year after that, in the year after that. And obviously it gets more vague the further out you get. Um, and then the update every quarter is fun because uh, what people do is they do a post on the diff essentially, like what's changing. And so that way there's always like a pretty long road ahead of you where you have an idea, but you're also constantly updating it it's not like you're just blindly marching down a particular path for a while yeah okay well so then what is and i I review all those so it's easy to keep up with the three-year plans all of them for each team yeah so there's 100 teams well some of those teams like maybe 30 of those teams are are support teams so they have kind of a single three-year plan between them or things like that um but yeah by by making sure i'm on board with them we also make sure that the idea of where the team's going and my idea uh, is completely aligned or I can keep an eye on like are these two teams working on the same thing but not together or are their plans actually maybe rowing in the opposite directions and which definitely happens so how, do you have a stated vision for the company uh, yeah and, and has that changed over time well as you get higher and higher 
it necessarily becomes more vague and in some ways less useful. (laughs) So, I mean, the mission for Automatic is to democratize publishing and commerce, right? Uh, I talked about publishing earlier and we added on commerce uh, when we did the WooCommerce acquisition. So, I mean, no small task, but also like you wake up in the morning, what do you do? Right. (laughs) Yeah. How do you even measure that? You know, so um, as it starts to get, it gets more granular and more specific as you dive down into the individual divisions or, or sections of automatic. So uh, this is short shifting gears for a second here. You uh, present as a, an extremely calm person, and very, very gathered. Uh, is there something in your sort of personal routine or something that, that is like your this grounding for you? Have you sort of always been like that? Um, hmm. um, I really like the app Calm. Okay. In fact, I, I invested in it when it first came out. And um, it was actually probably a few years after that that I finally went through their 21-day program. And uh, I definitely think of that as a before and after. Okay. Um, And I use Calm most days. So usually that 10 minutes, if I can do it in the morning, it's really helpful uh, to meditate. And that kind of, that and reading a bunch of books about it. Like I loved, uh, I forget the fellow's name, but Search Within Yourself, the person who created the... uh, yeah, no, um, well, okay. uh, but if you look for search within yourself, um, it's a person who kind of spur- spearheaded the mindfulness program at Google. Yeah. And so it talks about meditation as like an interrupt, right? Like something in between an action happening and the response from your code uh, to be able to like inspect or background demons. Or he was able to use technical terms in a way that actually really resonated with me right. to think about uh, meditation. And, and you are currently single. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so do you get... As a not married. Right. As a not married. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, are you, are you traveling with any sort of regularity? Like, what do you what what do you kind of do outside of, of WordPress? Oh, well, uh, my home base is Houston. And I probably spend, you know, that's a plurality of my time, but just only about four months. Mm-hmm. So the other eight months, I'll be on the road, like often in New York and San Francisco, because we obviously have a lot of partners there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're about to do a meeting right right here. And um, and then other, you know, there's WordPress users and colleagues and events and friends all over the world. So uh, I do between 350 and 400,000 miles a year, typically. So that's pretty good. Uh, one of my goals is to slow down a bit. So, really? Because I was thinking about that. I was able to do it in 2016 and 2017. Uh, I got down to probably closer to 200,000. But um yeah, when I think about what my personal goals are, it's definitely creating more of that space, particularly in the mornings, for deep work mm-hmm. and routine. So, like, people ask me what I'm looking forward to. After WordPress 5.0 comes out, and then we have uh, WordCamp US in Nashville, kind of around, I think, the first or second week of December. And then until the end of the year, kind of until my birthday, which is January 11th, I've got nothing. And my plan is just stay in Houston, <laughs> read. And uh, and my secret fantasy is to buy a Nintendo Switch uh, because I've heard Legend of Zelda is a really good it's game. It's pretty good. And I, I love gaming, but I basically have zero time for it, so I haven't gamed in years. So that's kind of my, my holiday plans. Hang out with family, good food, read, play some video games, and kind of chill out a bit. That's, that's wonderful. Um, as a complete aside, um, the new Spider-Man game for PlayStation is... Uh, blowing my mind really my six-year-old is playing it but the graphics and the free play i mean it's it's 
It's incredible. Really <laughs> it's kind well. of one of those realizations. I'm like, oh, I'm an adult. I can just buy these things now. Right? In my head, like I still need to wait for my parents to give it to me. And it's like, oh yeah, it's just 300 bucks. Like, well, especially, especially now that you, since you can download every game, you know, the Switch, you don't have to uh, buy any games. Oh, really? Oh yeah, no, you don't oh, have to cool. buy cartridges anymore. They have them, but you can just download See them. how so far it's behind like, I am? <laughs> there's no limit. I know. The last one I really got into was probably the, the Wii. Yeah. Yeah, that was so much fun with the sports and the tennis. We Fit is was the beginning of my recovery from Crohn's. Whoa. I did that's the, amazing. the We Fit the gym thing with the push ups and everything. And huh. Yeah. So I'm that's wild. I'm a big fan of the Wii. Uh anyway, so the um more routine though, you said. So you mm. want to have more routine in your morning? I think just in my days or weeks, you know, yeah. I can um almost every day is different. Yeah. And some of that's sometimes being in different cities. Sure. You know, this week I'm going to be in four different cities. Um, and some of it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of variety. I'm spread across a lot of things right now. Um, the big three being automatic. It's an 800 person company. So that mm-hmm. is definitely a full-time job. Uh, leading the open source side and then all the community aspects over there. Like right now, the privacy and accessibility groups are unhappy with the direction of WordPress. So we need to figure that out. And then um, I've also been an active angel investor since 2008 and have, you know, 90 investments there. Wow. More. Okay. And uh, many have exited or shut down, but um, I actually should look how many are open. But so those entrepreneurs <laughs> I try to be uh, responsive to um, or help out where I can. Yeah. 90 of them. Wow. That's, that's a, a it's a full group. portfolio. Yeah, sure. That was actually the thing that I stopped when I took back over WordPress was I was like, well, something has to go. Yeah. And it's not going to be automatic. It's not going to be WordPress. So that's called Audrey Capital. And I, I paused all investing there for about for about two years. What Are there any particular like sectors that you're focused on there? Or? Um, one that I was very passionate about that ended up doing pretty well was kind of smart home and home automation. So I was an investor in uh, Ring, which yeah. sold to Amazon, uh, SmartThings, which ended up selling to uh, Samsung, um, uh, Nest, oh, not Nest, um, August, which is a smart lock, ended up going to Asa Abloy. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the smart home stuff did pretty well. Um, it's still early days, but um, that first wave of companies definitely uh, changed a lot of things. And so the, the last question that I always like to ask is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Oh, effective. Um, hmm. These are things that are on my best days, but I won't say I tell your audience that I do them every day. And so, also, if you don't do these every day, don't worry. <laughs> but on sorry, my best sorry. days. One second. Okay. So, uh, the last question I always like to ask in these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Sure. And I'll couch this with that I'm also an imperfect human. I don't do these every day. So, if you don't do them every day, don't feel bad. Um, if either the night before or the morning, I just sit with some paper, unplugged, and start to write things down, make a list. Um, you Because know, you asked effective. Mm-hmm. And there's days when I'm very busy and get a ton done. And then the I'm like, well, did any of that really matter? And so that's probably the most important thing. Uh, other, yeah, that's really my top, 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 top. And it's so simple. You know, it yeah, but, cost most, but most people don't do it. Yeah, I don't do it most of the time. But when I do, it's like, it's really, really helpful. It's actually nice for me when things get really, really hectic because it forces me to 
organize and optimize a lot more. Um, other things, is it top three to be more effective? Embrace asynchronicity, which I know is something you talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about it with Voxer and other things. For me, that's P2. It's, it's a judicious use of email, not being something I'm on all day. Um, I uh, have a lot of custom email routing where there's some things I'll look at a few times a day and some things I look at more like once a week or once a month um, just to kind of catch up on. So kind of figuring out what's the proper cadence for all your interactions and then optimizing for that. And then finally, hmm, other things I do that I really like. We talked about meditation. Go look at my phone and see what other apps I have. Because that's a good proxy. Oh, you know my favorite, as much as meditation, something I find that's really good for my brain, is if I can read a chapter of a book in the morning, be fiction, nonfiction, anything. But if I can make that, and sometimes I'll even put the Kindle on top of my phone. I know it shouldn't be in my bedroom to start with, but let's, you know, I'm human. Uh, so I'll put the Kindle on top of my phone. So when I do that kind of reflective, like reach over in the morning, I grab the Kindle and, uh, I like the de dedicated Kindle devices because they don't have distractions. Yeah. And um, even just five or 10 minutes of reading, I find like gets my brain activated in a way that is uh, really healthy. Because it forces you to think about something longer than a tweet or a blog post or right. or the messages that are coming in and going out. Uh, what time do you usually wake up? Uh, just whenever I wake up. Um, <laughs> I'll set an alarm if I have an appointment, but... Um, Luckily, sleep sometimes I'm actually pretty good. <laughs> that's good. That's very good. And even uh, on a few hours of sleep, I can be pretty good for a day or two. If yeah. it gets more than that, I start to uh, lag a little bit. But um, yeah, most nights I'm, I'm pretty six or seven hours. So there's one other question I did want to ask that I forgot to, which is, have you ever had any pushback? And you sort of mentioned this a little bit, but since WordPress is behind such a large portion of the internet. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody who thinks that you have like a kill switch on your desk somewhere? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beauty of open source is that you can see every line of code. Yeah. And so you can run it yourself. You can run it on our servers or on your own servers. So really that control is one of the reasons people choose WordPress. Um, but just as you have Easter eggs, you know, uh, right? <laughs> um, there might not be intentionally. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe the NSA has contributed code to WordPress we didn't notice or something. So. Right. <laughs> I mean, that would be to me. That would be like, is there some you know red button somewhere that like can just shut down half the internet at, at will? Now uh, the, the security is pretty interesting because it's never done. It's always a process. Yeah. And so what we try to optimize for isn't the assumption that we'll ever write perfect code because it's all written by humans and humans are all fallible. But just like um, when, when not if, when mistakes are found, how can we protect people and update people really quickly? It's probably one of the most important things we did with WordPress was developing really strong relationships with all the web hosts mm -hmm. and network people and um, and the auto update system. So, yeah. And, and how large of it, like how large is the team that's dedicated towards security or? or? It's everyone's job. Is it? Yeah. Um, so that's. So there's a few dedicated folks, people. of course, but. Um, you know, now if, like, say, Core WordPress does a security release, which we'll do usually a few times per year, oh. we can brief the web host and people like Cloudflare uh, beforehand. So they will actually put in blocks at the network layer. So if someone tries to exploit it, they'll actually get blocked before they even get to your site. Huh. Um, and that's every major web host. That's GoDaddy, it's Bluehost, it's all those. And, um, and then we do the auto updates. We've got it now where we can get even for major releases, like 60%, 65% of 
all the WordPresses in the world on a new version within about a week, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's somewhere in between. It's way better than Android, not quite as good as iOS, <laughs> uh, but we're, you know, I'm pretty happy being in between those two. And I think we can push that up even more. There's a few big hosts out there that aren't quite yet on the program fully. And as we bring those on board, um, I think we'll get to a point where it can almost be like Chrome, where you just launch WordPress and you have the latest, greatest version. You don't even think about what version you're on. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, obviously, I mean, it should be fairly obvious. I think most people know what WordPress is, but if people wanted to find out more about, because you also do a lot of philanthropic work Mm -hmm. as well, right? So if people wanted to find out more about you uh, and what you do and all the new projects, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, um, Photomat, P-H-O-T-O-M-A-T-T on Instagram and Twitter. And the very best place is my blog, which is ma.tt. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.